Well, I'd like to start this message off by titling it, The Healing Properties of Music. I want to talk from the thought of the healing properties of music. I think we all know that there's something about music. Music has this ability to alter your mood in positive ways and in negative ways. Uh, when someone is going through a tough time, it's quite normal to play some music that will put them in a better mental state, put them in a better posture. We can say that there's something uh, of a soothing mechanism, if you will, that helps when someone is bothered by something or even worse, tormented by something. I don't know. Maybe it's the melody. Maybe it's the pitch. Maybe it's the texture. Maybe it's the tempo or that, that, that rhythmic pattern or, or maybe it's the instruments that plays a unique fashion. Whatever the case, I think we can all say that there's something about music. You know, the late Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., he used music to aid him during the civil rights movement. One person he looked to was the legendary Mahalia Jackson. Some of you may not know who Mahalia Jackson is, but she's known as the queen of gospel music. She sold over 22 million records, sold out Carnegie Hall concerts in New York City, which is a pretty big deal. She traveled worldwide singing songs to God. She first met King at the 1956 National Baptist Convention, and she remained a local and vocal supporter of him for years. She even prompted the world-famous I Have a Dream speech. As she was on the sidelines, she shouted and telling Martin King, tell him about the dream, Martin. Tell him about the dream. In which King then delivered that prophetic, inspirational, visionary speech that many people have listened to for years and for hope and motivation. One historian says this, Jackson was devoted to King and accompanied him into the most hostile parts of the segregated South for rallies and demonstrations. Check this out. Even in moments when Dr. King felt discouraged, he would call Mahalia Jackson on the phone just to hear her sing. Again, there's something about music. When we think about the healing properties, ultimately, we know God is in control. We know God is sovereign. We know he's in control over our marriages. He's in control over this church. He's in control over what's going on in Memphis. He's, over, he's in control over what happened in L.A. He's over, in control over miscarriages. He's in control over everything. Amen? So we know that God is ultimately in control. That's not for debate. However, God does use means for his ultimate purposes. 
he does use certain things to accomplish whatever he wants. You guys are looking at me a little funny. Oh, let me, let me make it plain. Uh, he can use medicine. Amen, somebody. He can use medicine. He can use counselors. Amen? He can even use your tears. He can even use the tears that we cry when something is going on. And in our text today, he even uses music. Now, I think this is a continuation from last week's sermon's point on, uh, on how God chooses unexpected people for his ultimate purposes. We, 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 we see that. This is a continuation of that. We see young David, the shepherd boy, who's this unlikely person. And today we're going to see how God uses him to comfort Saul when there's some type of harmful or, or troubling spirit that is upon him. David's gifting and skill of playing music is not only helpful, but in some sense, it's therapeutic. Verses 14 to 16, we see that the spirit of God departs from Saul. Verse 14, now the spirit of Yahweh departed from Saul and a harmful spirit from Yahweh tormented him. Now, I know as we read that, as we hear that, as we think about that, admittedly, that's a bit strange. That's a bit weird. It's a bit peculiar. And I would submit to you that if you read throughout the Bible, there's a lot of things that are strange. There's a lot of things that are peculiar. There's a lot of things that are odd. I was talking to somebody recently, and they were talking to me how the Bible was boring. And I said, if you think the Bible is boring, I got a couple of books from the Old Testament that I want you to read. And you tell me if this is boring. It's not boring at all. It's, it's a bit weird. It's a bit strange. It would make for a good Netflix show. So I know it's a bit strange because when we think of God, we don't think of him of sending a harmful or damaging spirit upon somebody. That tends to not fit in our category of who God is. At the same time, I just want to say, well, the spirit of God is leaving Saul because he didn't follow God's way. The, the, the spirit of God is, is leaving Saul because Essentially, he wanted to do what he wanted to do. He didn't obey God, right? So, oh, when you think about this, I want to say that there are two ways to live. Uh, you can live your way, and you can live God's way. Your way essentially is you are the Lord, you are the God of your life. Whatever you want to do, whatever you think needs to be done, however you want to live, essentially, that's what some of us tend to do. We don't want to listen to any rules, obey anything, because we think that we are the uh, dictators of our life. And that is a way to live. But there's an alternative way to live. There's a way that we can live that promotes love and joy and peace and, 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 and harmony and flourishing and 
a way to have life more abundantly. And I would say that this is the life, this is the path, this is the way of, of, of Jesus. And this accompanies, and accompanies the idea of obeying and following God. So no matter where you are, no matter what you do, you can choose the way of Jesus or the way of whatever your name is. Essentially, what we see is Saul, he chose to kind of like live his own way, do what he wants to do. So um, this is why the Spirit of God departs from him. One thing to be aware from an exegetical standpoint, though, is to notice how this spirit that is sent is never called the spirit of Yahweh. I think that's a very, very important detail to understand. The spirit that is sent is not the spirit of Yahweh like it was that rushed upon David. This spirit of some sort is from Yahweh in some sense, but it is not God. In other words, the essence of this damaging spirit is not God himself. However, God does send this spirit on Saul as somewhat of a disciplinary action, I would say. Uh, a couple of things that we need to know as we try to unpack this is, one, this happens because Saul is persistent in unrepentance. Saul is persistent. He continues in unrepentance to the Lord. And when that happens, God does judge. I know that's not pleasant or seem pleasant, but... When you look at the Bible, you look at all of Scripture, this does happen. God is really in control, so much so that he will allow things to happen that nobody really wants to happen. Think about Romans 1. We see in Romans 1 that there are people that essentially they see the invisible attributes of God. They see the general revelation of God and they choose to not follow God's way. They choose to follow their own way, their own longings, their own desires, their own passions. And guess what? God says twice in chapter 1 of Romans, God gave them up. Sometimes the most challenging thing is to get what you actually want. We see this in Romans 1. God gives people up to their own passions, their own desires. We also see in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, by the way, the church in Corinth was a very strange church. A lot, a lot of stuff going on in, 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 in 1 Corinthians. Um, there's a person that was in that church that was doing some heinous and wicked, terrible things to the point that Paul is trying to address that. And he actually says in chapter 5, verse 4, to this person that's doing this wicked, sinful, evil thing, he says, give this man over to Satan. Deliver this man to Satan. Sometimes in the scriptures, God will tell people to give them over to Satan. And then sometimes God does, at least in our passage today, sends this harmful, troubling spirit upon Saul because of judgment and because of a disciplinary action. 
Second thing I think that we do need to understand is we need to have a robust understanding of the Spirit of God. We need to have a healthy understanding of the Holy Spirit, the role and function of the Spirit of God. Sometimes the Holy Spirit can kind of be left out in some ways. But I would argue that the Holy Spirit is probably more active in our lives than we actually realize. The role and function of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, we see that the Spirit creates, Genesis 1-2, hovering over the face of the waters. We see that he teaches. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13, this is a form of revelation that the Spirit teaches. The Spirit also convicts. When you're talking to your friend, you're talking to your family member, and they say something that cuts you to the heart, that is called conviction. And that comes from the Holy Spirit. That comes from the Spirit of God. When you're listening to uh, one of Ramon's sermons, and something hits you so hard, and it cuts you to the heart, that is the Holy Spirit convicting you. Right? That is the role and function, one of the roles and function of the Holy Spirit. Another function is he comforts. <laughs> he, he, he comforts. Now, this is something that I think that we all need in our lives, especially when we're going through trials and tribulations, okay? Sufferings and, and things of that nature. Um, national crisis, um, Hurricanes and earthquakes and natural disasters, those types of things. We need the God of comfort. And guess what? The Holy Spirit is the one that does that. Right? He convicts. He, he comforts. He performs miracles. He guides people to truth. He is given to the believer. He is given to those who follow Jesus. If you are a follower of Christ and you have the Spirit of God indwelled inside of you, and this is important because that means that we have the power, we have the tools to fight against sin. If the third person of the Trinity is inside of you, as the scripture says, then I think that there's a way that we should live that helps us, that guides us, that directs us to live in such a way that we don't have to be defeated. That we don't have to be enslaved to addictions that we don't have to be enslaved to alcoholism, that we don't have to be enslaved to porn addiction, that we don't have to be enslaved to any other thing that is holding you back from living the way God wants you to live. If the Holy Spirit is inside of you, then you can overcome. Amen? This is the role and function of the Holy Spirit. But I want to look at another role of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, he empowers now, this is in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. This is the building of the second temple. We see the Spirit of God empowers in the, in the temple, but we also see that the Spirit departs. The Spirit does leave. Not only in, with Saul, but we also see with Samson in Judges chapter 16, verse 20. The Spirit does leave people at times. Now, during this time, understand that the Spirit would rest upon leaders so that they can be empowered for military victories and leading God's people. But when they sin and when they do wrong and they don't follow God, then they run the risk of God's presence not being with them. 
In the ancient Near East, the idea of having God present with you was a very, very big deal. That was very, very important. So the fact that God is not with you or with them, that is tragic. Why do you think David in Psalm 51, verse 11, his psalm of repentance, he says this, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Maybe he's obviously thinking about what happened with Saul. But maybe he also understands that the spirit of God empowered in him. If the spirit departs, then that means he's no longer going to be the leader and king of Israel. And David doesn't want that to happen. Right. So the spirit also departs from 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 people, as we see here in this particular text. Now, because the spirit that torments Saul, what is the remedy the text gives? The remedy, the solution that the text provides is music. The text gives music as the answer. Verses 16 and, and, and 17 simply says, let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will not play it and will be well. <laughs> so Saul said to his servants, provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. I want to highlight the idea of the man is skillful in playing, and he actually plays well. Uh, the text doesn't say that, you know, he played terrible. The text doesn't say that he played horrible. Uh, the text doesn't say that he was whack. No, the text says that he played well, <laughs> which means he was a good musician in this sense. I'm convinced from this text that one of the healing properties of music is simply playing well. It's simply playing unto the Lord with excellence, with excitement, with goodness, right? David here can play the, the, the lyre and harp in such a way that Saul would be well if David played well. The text also says he's a man of valor. That's a way of basically saying uh, this is his personal bravery of some sort, right? He's also this man uh, of prayer. He's a man of war. He's a man of good presence. And here it is. Yahweh is with him. The Lord is with him. The presence of God is with him, which is the most important thing out of all of these different characteristics of David, is that the spirit is that God is with him. Again, there's something about music. When we look at music all throughout the Bible, we can see that there's a whole biblical theology of music, right? In Genesis chapter 4, verse 21, the first reference to the musician, any musician is in the Bible, is in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. This person in that verse is known as the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe. So in the origin story, in the Genesis, in the beginning, there was music, and people playing. 
We also go to the second book of the Bible in Exodus. Exodus chapter 15, it records Moses and the Israelites singing a song of victory after wiping out the Egyptian army. After they won that battle, after they won that war, they sung a song. And you can read about it in Exodus chapter 15. Also, the book of Psalms. This is the longest book in the Bible, and it's pretty much a big song book. <laughs> it's a big song book of praise in particular. And guess what? David wrote a lot of them. The same shepherd boy that is now uh, the king of, of, of Israel. And not to mention the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible. In the new heavens and new earth, there's going to be songs that are sung to God of worship by a multi-ethnic bride. <laughs> and they're going to worship the Lamb of God, and they're going to sing songs. In fact, the same song in Exodus 15 is repeated in the worship service of the new heavens and new earth in the book of Revelation. So I think God likes that song a lot. There's something about Songs and music that do something to us in such a way, positive or, or negative. The power of music is, is fascinating. Even babies, <laughs> when they're crying to the top of their lungs, playing music or singing to them helps soothe them and bring them to some type of sanity and calmness. For my anatomy folks in the building. All right, my anatomy folks, right? Um, um, there's this thing called the limbic system. Uh, maybe I'm saying it wrong, but the limbic system um, is the part of the brain that is involved in our behavioral and emotional responses. All right, there was a professor um, that talked about the impact of music. Listen to what she says. She says, in this respect, it is interesting to note that the listening to music is not only accompanied by blood flow increases in brain areas known to be involved in generating and controlling emotions, but it is also accompanied by a general increase in change of brain activation within the distributed network comprising many brain areas and the nervous system. Thus, listening to music, even when we listen passively, activates many psychological functions. Things like the emotion, things like memory, things like attention, things like imagery, and so on. Music is very, very powerful. So when th think about it like this. When this harmful spirit that is tormenting Saul that comes upon him, uh, the solution is listening to music, listening to David plays, plays. There's something that's going on in the mind that is helping him <laughs> soothe whatever torment that is happening. That's how powerful music is. And I think when we think about the healing properties of music, I think God is even gracious, even allowing this to actually happen and for this to actually take place to Saul, even though God was the one that sent <laughs> the harmful spirit. So even in the glimpse of that, we see some level of graciousness with, with God. As the story continues on, we see that David enters into this service with, with Saul. Again, we see David here being faithful. And I love this because in this text, it says that he's with the sheep. 
Again, <laughs> he's being faithful, tending to the sheep, tending to the flock. And I love this because this is a way for us that I think that we can also be faithful in whatever it is that we're doing. But he also has a gift of playing music. He has a gift of playing this instrument, this stringed instrument of some sort. And he enters into the service of Saul's armor bearer and somehow he finds favor. He finds favor. Favor is that cold word that basically is undeserved love, undeserved, undeserved grace. That's what that cold word for favor is. And he finds his favor with Saul. Anytime the spirit comes upon Saul, then David will play this lyre and spirit will leave, and this harmful spirit will leave from him. The crazy part about this is Saul is starting to become dependent on David who will succeed and replace him as king of Israel. That's the ironic thing about this story. So a couple of takeaways from this story as I come to a close. A couple of takeaways that I think that we can understand is, one, God disciplines those that are unrepentant. God disciplines those that are unrepentant. Again, this is a part of the nature and character of God. This is something that he does. And when you read throughout the scriptures, this is something that, um, that he's about, okay? He does discipline, all right? The second thing is, if we haven't noticed, music is powerful. Music is powerful. Um, one, one commentator says it this way. Interestingly, music is still recognized as a form of therapy often prescribed to restore troubled states of the mind. Saul's servants knew a suitable musician whose qualities would grace Saul's court, a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite. And if music is powerful and it's so strong and it's so et cetera, I guess the question that I would want to say is, when our minds are troubled, when our minds are tormented, when our minds, when we are depressed, when we are struggling, when we are whatever, I guess as a question is, what type of music do we listen to? What type of songs do we listen to that will maybe help us get by, that get through? If you don't have a song, I would say that you should have a song. You probably should have multiple songs because if music is this powerful and this strong, yes, God can work through all sorts of different things, but God can still work through music. What are those songs on your Spotify and Apple Music playlists that you need when you are about to jump off the ledge? I think this is something that we can actually think about, important, uh, important for us to think about. I think some of us actually know this to some degree, but I also think that maybe you may not think music is like Christian enough. <laughs> Maybe that's not good enough because, you know, it, it needs to, uh, you need to have a preacher preaching at you or preaching to you, right? Obviously, you should have that. That's good to have a preacher, good to have a pastor. But music is powerful. And when your minds are troubled, what do you run to? What songs do you go to? I think that's something for us to, to investigate and to process and to think about. And lastly, I want to say, God is gracious. God is gracious. Even in the midst of his discipline, <laughs> even in the midst of whatever, God is still gracious. Again, that psalm, God is good and he does good. 
Psalm 103, verse 8, our God is compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He's merciful and he is gracious. So turn to the God of grace for love and for peace and for holiness. And the church said, amen. Let me pray. Father, I pray that we can come to you boldly, humbly, always asking for your love, always asking for your grace, always asking for your mercy. I pray for the songs and the music that we listen to, Lord, that can help us in our time of need, in our type of time of healing, in our time of comfort. Even the songs that we sing this morning, that we've sung this morning, or come to the altar, the goodness of God. And all of the different songs that we sing each and every Sunday, I pray for those to have um, healing properties in them that will be able to help us in our time of need. I want to pray for anyone here that needs your comfort, that needs your healing, in whatever situation they may be going through. We ask all of this and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.